Welcome back to the Unstressable Podcast. I'm your host, Alice Law, and this podcast is a series of amazing conversations with incredible people talking about what makes them unstressable from some of life's greatest challenges and the greatest stresses and losses they've had to overcome and how they came back from them so that you can become unstressable through yours. In today's episode, I'm so excited to welcome back Tori Janae to the podcast. Tori was actually the first ever guest I had on the podcast. So if you haven't listened to episode one with her incredibly inspiring personal story, go back and listen. Today, I have her returning to the podcast to talk about an amazingly close to everyone's heart topic, which we haven't discussed before, which is relationships and love, and how we personally sabotage ourselves within and around them, what the meaning of soulmates and twin flames is, and more a spiritual perspective on love, and what we can do to get out of our own way to create the relationships we want. Tori is such an oracle of wisdom I always say this to her she knows so much about so much and blends western psychology and eastern Vedic wisdom together and I really hope you enjoy her amazing insights on this very great topic well I am so excited to have you back on the podcast because For those of you listening, obviously this is the new season and I've renamed the podcast Unstressable now and Tori was the first ever guest on the podcast originally and is very much downloaded and loved so I'm so excited to have you back again. Yay, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I love Alice and everything she stands for so I'm excited to be able to chat with her today. Oh, it's so sweet. I mean, I'm so excited to chat to you because you're literally, as I always say to you, like an oracle, like a well of wisdom. And I have done, as you know, like work with you, spiritual work, energetic work, subconscious work. And you have a fountain of knowledge on many topics. But the one (laughs) we wanted to dive into today is going to be fun. (laughs) You and I talked about this before. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I wanted to really just, yeah, go in many different directions, spiritual and um, just general with it. So I'm excited for the conversation. No, me too. So I guess I'll give your, give everybody a little bit of a background of like, how did I become the Oracle? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wasn't, like, wasn't totally born this way, though. I do believe that that's true. A lot of us are born with innate wisdom and gifts. However, in my actual physical life, I have studied Western psychology. So I have a bachelor's in clinical, and then I have a master's in spiritual or it's, you know, transpersonal psychology. I also got a secondary certification from my, my master's degree in coaching and then I'm a 500-hour yoga teacher, and I've learned energy psychology. So I have a ton of different training to help people manifest mind, body, and soul. But today we want to talk about love because of the four aims in life from Vedic, the Vedic and yogic beliefs is, you know, there's something called kama, which is in, not karma. Do not mix it up because we often do. <laughs> kama <laughs> is about enjoyment and fulfillment. And I really believe that that's part where love comes in and it's so important to create it, but there's a lot of human and mental stuff that gets in our way. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, let's talk about that mental stuff. So the programming, because today in the modern world, you know, dating has obviously changed massively from what it used to be. And it used to be this, you know, ancient thing where the woman would, you know, have to wait to be sort of picked (laughs) by a man and then, you know, chosen and God bless if you are, otherwise you're doomed and all these things. And Hollywood has also painted that story in its own way still. But dating has obviously changed and it's also become even more confusing with these apps and so many different sort of options, whilst also not maybe meeting people that you're actually that connected with. And there's just a lot of almost, well, I guess, programming around it, isn't there? So, What do you believe we sort of become programmed to believe um, when it comes to dating and love? Yeah, we have to remember that the roots of marriage were obviously more for like for women. Unfortunately, we were highly disempowered for millennia. Right. We we had to pay people to marry us. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? People forget about this. Like that was a dowry. Like if you were a female in a royal line, the best they could hope for you would be to marry you off to someone so that you could create progeny. 
And, and we forget those roots that are still within our genetic code, our, the history of being a woman. So I think in some ways women haven't totally owned their empowerment in dating and how it's really meant to be a spiritual partnership and something to enhance your life and help you grow as a person and bring joy. I think women make a lot of sacrifices for love, not wanting to be alone, looking for someone to complete them. Like you said, these, these Hollywood things that have been portrayed to us when it doesn't really work that way. Like, you know, it would be great if like all the Hallmark Christmas movies I watch were true. You know, you go back, (laughs) you go back to your hometown over the holidays and you're a successful lawyer. And now you need to give up your career because Joe, the plumber is the love of your life. And he (laughs) he wants to stay here. So you're going to give that all up and, and stay there to be with him because he's your soulmate. And, and he proposes by the end of the conversation as well, right? By the end of the movie, he's, he's presented a ring. So we kind of have this idea of a fairy tale. But unfortunately, the, the feminine energy in the fairy tale is waiting to be picked and waiting to be rescued. And we really have to shift that if we're going to find conscious partnership and higher forms of spiritual love. I, I know a lot of the people who are listening may not be completely on your spiritual path, But if you want to be aligned with a truer love, it's not going to come from the things which are the ego, which is hoping that we're enough and all those psychological things that get in the way. So you also asked about what are the things that get in the way. Often where people do not want to look is where they need to look most. And this is from my Western psychology training. You have to look at your childhood there is, we all have energetic and emotional trauma, whether you know it or not. You know, your parents getting divorced is on a study about being a trauma from your childhood. So a lot of people don't think of it as a trauma and it's not blaming, it's not saying it's bad. It happens to everyone. But it's looking at if there was issues in your childhood, like if your parents argued a lot, if they got divorced, if someone was unfaithful, if you even had a mom, you know, who spoke about relationships in a certain way or, or you saw not enough love between the two of them. There's all those things that we really have to look at our past and, and do a lot of healing work. And this is the biggest thing that I see in manifestation that's missing is no one talks about healing the mind to move forward, to create a new present mm-hmm. because we are often just reacting to our own stories, our own beliefs, our own conditioning, even in a relationship. I always joke with my clients that we all walk into a relationship with our bags packed and we have only have two choices. Our bags are already packed. So we're either going to pick up those bags and beat our partner with them. You know, all of our stuff, all of our junk, all of our past, the guy who cheated on us, all those things. Or we're going to do the inner work to start unpacking that stuff and clearing it mentally, emotionally, and spiritually so that we can actually have the love that we all crave so deeply. Yeah, I love that. I think it's so fascinating, isn't it, that the majority of people... Um, probably don't have a clue that their programming is affecting their love life, their marriage, their relationship, their lack of relationship, whatever that is. So, I mean, let's also talk about, okay, we talked about the the, uh, ancient, not ancient, but like the traditional senses of dating. I mean, the West is very into like this linear way of thinking that there is a certain time where you must be with someone and you have to have reached a certain age and then, you know, you must be married or, you know, all these little things that have kind of, again, been filtrated into us through society that as a woman or even as a man, but as a woman, obviously it's a different age that people think of than to men, that you have to have met the love of your life by that day or that year, otherwise you're doomed. So how do you see like those kind of things affect people in the way they are able to or unable to manifest relationships, for example? Yeah. So there are a couple of things you're bringing up. One is the West. In the West, we know, and this is based on research from Harvard long ago. Um, there's a book on it. Like Women are actually raised and socialized to be more relational and men are raised to be more like they got to be in a certain career space. And the book is called A, a Book of a Different... Um, a different voice. And it's basically like, as women, we're willing to get married and be in a relationship at any time. And that is kind of often the highest priority. But men are socialized in our Western culture to be in a certain specific place of wealth or status or success before he's allowed to get married. And this, this actually, I see, creates a lot of issues in people that I've worked with who 
you know, they're dating and like, she's ready to get engaged. She wants to have children by a certain age and he doesn't feel he's successful enough to propose. And so that alone, just our societal conditioning gets in the way of love too, right? Because he doesn't feel ready. She's ready. Then we have the biological issue, which of course can be real, but I truly believe, and this is more from the Eastern philosophy, that the relationship is for the betterment of the soul. The children will come to you when they're meant to. And all this fear we have around like timing really gets in our way and it leads us to make poor choices. So it's where it's where I jokingly call it this, like, especially for the women I work with this, like insert man here. I've had, I've worked with so many women who are like with someone who they know isn't quite right, but he's like ready to have kids. And on paper, he's really good. And so they're so ready just to like have children and be married because, you know, I'm 33 and I've got to do this, that they end up marrying them. And I've had the honor of working with a lot of women who are on the other side of that. You know, 10 years later, they're telling me after they're in the divorce process, (laughs) they're telling me how they kind of knew he wasn't really it, but I was this age and I was terrified and he was there. And so it's really allowing ourselves to walk away from that and know that we can refuse that partner, that person who's shown up right now. And that if we let it go, something better will come up. Like I was saying, there's this energy of sacrifice. Like I have to give up, like I can't really have it all. And, and I don't mean you can't manifest, you know, some women get really focused on like exter- external things that are like the egos, so like maybe a guy's looks or how much money he makes. That's not an alignment, but I'm talking about having those non-negotiables that you're looking for of like, who are they as the person? Do do they have the attributes that you're looking for? Are they kind? Are they funny? Are they supportive of you? Do they want you to fulfill your dreams? Do they want children at the same times that you do? All those kinds of things are more important. And we have to unwind our own conditioning around those beliefs. And like I said, like, I've got to be successful before I get married, or I must get married by the time I'm 30, because I want to have kids by the time I'm 35. That all sounds good on paper, but it's a very Western ego idea of what love is. Each soul is unique, and we are actually most developed for certain things at different times. Some people are going to be ideal mothers when they are 20, and some people are going to be ideal mothers when they are 40. That's what I love about like Vedic astrology is it tells you in your chart often when is the ideal time for you to get married, to have children, like blah, blah, blah. For me personally, one of, you know, two things that struck me that I had in my, my Vedic chart, which is Vedic astrology, it's a little bit different than Western, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> Alice has another podcast from one of my teachers in that. But yes, Dr. I, Dennis. <laughs> Dr. Dennis Harness. Yes. So what's interesting is that Marriage wasn't ideal for my soul until 35. I got married at 25. So I had a a bumpy 10 years. I have been with the same partner for almost 20 years. So I'm speaking from experience of being in in a good long-term relationship. And another thing was, you know, we kept putting off kids and it never quite felt right. And instead of falling into that idea that I had to have children, what my life mean and all those things, I listened to that inner call that I wasn't sure that it was right. And neither was my husband. Every time we talked about it, be like, oh, we'll wait a while. And then in my Vedic chart, it, it actually says that it's not really meant for me in this lifetime. And so I was able to accept that. Now that's me. Every person is different, but sometimes when you know you're meant to be a mother, it's also listening to that and how it looks for you may be very unique. Yeah. I think that's so fascinating because I mean, I've had a, a reading with Dr. Dennis, as you know, and I, <laughs> And I was like, you know, he said to me, you know, do you, do you, you know, are you happy for me to tell you if you're going to have kids or not? Mm. And I was like, knowing yeah. you and knowing that he could actually tell you, I was like, okay, I'm going to be brave. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he did say that like uh, marriage for me before kids is better so that I can like get into the flow of marriage, but like kids at 35 is the ideal age for me. And that's actually the age that I've always thought I want kids because I was lucky enough to grow up with a mum who had me at 36. So I wasn't in that conditioned mindset of a lot of uh, my friends' parents' generations where they had them at like 29, you know, or earlier. And so they were already like, you know, why are you not married? Why don't you have kids yet already? You know, as opposed to (laughs) really, I mean, you know, having kids in your mid-30s is still young, you know, it's it's such a mindset thing. So I find all those things so, so fascinating, especially how you can see in the Vedic chart as well. Yes, which I'm learning to do and I'm, I'm amazed by it. 
But what's fascinating about it is, is allowing your soul to speak. And that's what you did. You, you listened to your own truth. And it's hard to get past that when we're externally looking for those answers. And, you know, most women are freaking out if they're not with the right person, you know, quote unquote, right person by the time they're 30. 30 is very young when we look at lifespans now. And, and I know the other argument that might be coming up in especially women's mind is, yes, but, my, but every, every person in the medical field says that I must have children before 35. Or, you know, they have this awful term called geriatric pregnancy. <laughs> and I just kind of believe that if you do take good care of yourself and you continue on your, your healing path and, and you have like your mental and physical health, that your opportunity to have children can extend much further than Western medicine. I don't think personally that if you've really taken care of yourself and you don't have health issues, and you know, if you work with functional medicine, you know, all these things we have the opportunities to, you also have the opportunity to freeze your eggs today. I think today we have so many options and opportunities to extend that time that it's much more about you being ready to bring souls onto this planet and guide them. Because when you have children at the wrong time for your soul, again, some people are going to be great at 20, some people are great at 40. It just doesn't bring the same evolution to you and, and happiness to you. You know, it's like some, children, some people have children and they feel like a burden and other people, that's all they ever wanted. It's a very different experience. And doing what I do in counseling people for the last 10 years, I can tell you, children feel when they are a burden. Yeah, that's Even if it's just something, isn't it? Yes. Even if it's just subconsciously, those wounds are within them. And now there's actually a study of prenatal psychology, like in utero. And they know from blood testing that all of the stress the mother feels, the baby feels. And I believe in, and now it's, you know, epigenetics and all these things, but like genetic conditioning, genetic trauma, the things that we're passing down. And so it's doing our work. So we are ready to step into that relationship. So we are ready to step into motherhood if that's what we if that's what we're here to do. Like I was explicitly told by many of my teachers you are here to be the mother of many and not the mother of one. And I also had the opportunity to raise my little brother like as, you know, as my own, so in that way. So I have these places I get to be a mother. My motherhood looks differently. Your motherhood is going to look different. Each woman or man out here, you're the way you'll bring that energy in will be unique. And so just letting go of those timelines and the conditioning and the fear we have around it will actually help allow it manifest in your life. Yeah, I totally believe that. And I also think it's so sad and such a shame that society has reached this place where it's put this kind of societal pressure on both women and men in different ways around marriage. You know, women feeling like what we've just talked about, like they're behind and they need to find this person and then settling for someone that they really shouldn't be with and having a miserable marriage and a divorce and then their kids having to go through a divorce as well. And, you know, all these things sort of carry on. And equally with men, as you said, those different pressures that come with maybe how they feel they should be within themselves, within their work, within whatever that ancient um, belief of the prov- being the provider Um, how do we sort of how do we shift that narrative within our own minds if we obviously can't yet shift it in the world altogether totally and and shifting the external always begins with the internal it's like if you want a tree to grow fruit you have to look at the roots you know like if it doesn't have Mm -hmm. good nutrients if it's not being fed and it's the same thing within ourselves if we're not looking at our own roots then the things that we produce won't be what we want and so for men it's looking at it's shifting the perspective that success can be achieved while you're building something with someone and that love could actually be a great, you know, enhancer of your success. Because the thing we know from spirituality is that, you know, in the Vedas, what's interesting is, is they talk about career, wealth, and happiness, but those all three are meant to be in service of spiritual growth. And so yes, we should be working on our career. We should be working on our love. We should be working on happiness. We should be working on wealth, of course. But all of that is to serve our higher purpose. And so a lot of people, especially men who spent all this time trying, and I've worked with these men because I used to work with a lot more corporate men about a decade ago. They spent all this time building a foundation to be this good provider And they sometimes either missed out on great relationships or they didn't get an opportunity to build one. And then they are also trying to play catch up. And now they're at the end. You know, I even worked with men who were 
at the end of feeling like they were even at a good age to be a father. I love that you said missed out on, because I think that's a really interesting like tangent for the men's perspective of like you say, being so focused on career that they actually have missed someone that they maybe could have had a really amazing, amazing marriage or relationship with. And that just falls into that whole, whole discussion we just talked about, you know, why that even happens. Yeah. So opening our mind to understand that, that success can be achieved and will actually be sweeter often when we have someone to share it with. Mm. All of the things we desire, love, money, wealth, career, happy, you know, none of it really means much if we don't have a higher purpose to it. And, and so many people can understand that. Like the most successful I ever was, I felt the most miserable because I wasn't actually living my dharma, my right purpose. I was in corporate. I was making a ton of money. I'd done everything you were supposed to do. You know, I got married at the right age. I got, I had the car, I had the house, I had the degrees <laughs> and I was miserable. It's because I was missing what was the meaning of all that. It was really toward my spiritual growth. And as someone who in my charts is a spiritual teacher, I had to move that alignment so it's the same thing with the guy who feels like, okay, I've just got to be successful and then I can worry about love. Like, no, love could help you grow the success. Having a strong partner with you could help you grow into exactly who you're meant to be and actually enjoy the process of becoming the success. Then for women, sometimes we do the opposite. We're so focused on creating the relationship that we forget about our own success. And then we end up putting everything into that bag and don't feel exactly fulfilled. So we've really got to learn to balance both of working on, you know, a woman needs to have her career down, her purpose, you know, career and purpose and that all kind of means dharma, knowing that she can take care of herself and her children, even if she chooses to not work as a mother. I, my prayer for women is that they always know they can take care of themselves and that they're choosing to be in their marriage because it's so good. They want to be there. Mm -hmm. Not because she has no choice. Like there is, when women fail to deal with their money and their career, sometimes they end up in spaces and places they don't want to be because they don't feel like they have a choice. And I grew up with a mother who was like that. She was married multiple times. And same with my grand, my grandmother who adopted me, um, long story, but she always told me, Tori, have your own money. (laughs) And I never really understood that. But as someone who's been married for almost 18 years, we've always had separate bank accounts. I've always had my own career and, while that was right for me, even if you're a stay-at-home mom, create a bank account for yourself. Like put some money aside for you that you can spend on yourself without guilt. Make sure you have a, a skill or something you're interested in. Well, one of my good friends who's a mom, she's also a healer. She's a mom of two, so she doesn't work a ton of hours. But while her kids are in school, she does sessions with people. She's learning things. Like she is experiencing her dharma while being a mom. Like you can have it all. It just has to be in that, in a balance and towards something positive. But it's kind of like letting go of that desperation for a relationship and that settling energy is the thing that will actually help you find a more aligned partner. But again, if we don't do the mental work and the energy clearing and, you know, some of those deeper things to heal the stories and the fears we have around love. It's really hard to find that right partner because we attract from what we believe, not what we want. Mm. I love that. That's such a, that's such a, such a good, good phrase and the truth. So it's, right. It's, so girl, the woman who will tell you all men cheat, she keeps getting cheated on. Mm. Because she's literally drawing to her that which she believes. And, and that's not, you know, it's not an untrue statement. Sure, there are lots of men who cheat, but you just need the one who doesn't. <laughs> you just need the one. That's what I always remind people. You just need the one. And even if, and you know, like I may be speaking in this way that like we're looking like for this forever, ever partner. I want to make it clear that I'm not. I'm, I'm a full believer in divorce. <laughs> Meaning <laughs> that I want you to always have full choice in life. And if someone changes or they become an addict or something negative happens, you have the opportunity to absolutely walk away. That's okay. And sometimes you will just outgrow your partner and that's okay too. That, you know, relationships are all here for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And we don't always know when we walk into it. I think that's really interesting when you say outgrow your partner, because when you talked about, obviously earlier, we said touched on, you know, the 30 year old milestone for women 
I am so different to who I was in my 20s to who I am now as 31. I mean, I would have been divorced twice, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and it's, you know, even in these last two years, particularly since losing my dad, you know, I've had a totally different, like, evolution, so to speak. And it's really interesting because you think about, okay, who you're going to meet now and who they would have met before and wouldn't be the same person, you know? And so the person that I meet now won't be the same person as who I would have met, met then. So I find that really interesting that you can obviously outgrow people and that something to people to really consider is that, you know, essentially, you know, not waiting for the sake of it, but the longer that you are, you know, waiting to meet the right person, the more you're evolving, that you're actually going to meet the person that's actually got this chance of being something long-term because you won't change as much then as a person as you do, say, in your 20s. I mean, we change so much, right? We do. I mean, not only from like a, a spiritual perspective of, you know, we have like Saturn returns at 27 in the, in the astrology. And for some people that doesn't even complete itself till 35. So you've got this energetic component, component of being your full expressed self. But what's interesting is, is the research actually backs that up, exactly what you're saying. And it's such a mindset shift to understand that when researched, people who had better outcomes in their long-term relationships got married in the 28 to 38 range. So people who get married under 28 didn't have as, bad, as good of long-term outcomes. And I can actually say from my own experience that my husband and I got together and I was one way, you know, I was very much this <laughs> corporate person drone, you know, I was in human resources, like I was using my psychology degree in a totally different way. And and then I changed because I really stepped onto my spiritual path. And that was a huge thing for us of like, I was a completely different person than whom he married. Like when we got married, the goal was for me to go to law school. And I ended up getting like a spiritual psychology master's. <laughs> so I totally turned left. And, and, you know, in that, we actually kind of went through a really rough um, seven-year itch, they call it. And we were able to come back together, but only because he was willing to step up and step into new things. And he was open to who I was becoming in a long-term relationship. Yes. The more you develop yourself, the better your chances are of, of matching that partner, but also finding a partner. If you do find someone younger, who's willing to grow with you and, and listens when something isn't going well in the relationship is such a sign of a good outcome for a long-term relationship. Like when you say, you know, this is, this is bothering me or this is hurting my feelings or I really want to do more of this as a couple. It's like when that partner is willing to listen and to move with you, you're going to have a much better relationship and experience. Yeah, I totally believe that. And it's, um, it's definitely something for like people particularly who are listening thinking, oh, you know, I haven't met someone yet. Like that's not a bad thing, you know, at all. It's really the more you bet the better you know yourself the better a relationship you'll have and we really can't know ourselves that well in our <laughs> it's so true I mean the a lot of people don't know this but the actual goal of yoga is self-knowledge that's what it like yoga means to yoke means to be to one to one like what people understand of yoga in the west is that it's like poses but literally that has almost nothing to do with yoga like imagine the yoga was a bible asana or poses would be one page <laughs> that's how small it is but the number one goal of it is is self-knowledge so yes the more you know yourself the more you will be able to attract the right person to you and I also think about not only having this a, a, a good relationship that's that's designed for your growth but if you are here to manifest and create children together like you've really got to think about who that person is because they will be in your life for a long time. They will be like, I want people to look at someone and say, would I want this person to be created in front of me? You know what I mean? Cause your children will often reflect their parents and you know, it's like, and yes, we get into negative relationships for, for many reasons, you know, trauma being like, I believe personally, like the number one, but those of you listening to this, like, please, whomever you're with and never consider, if you have not had children yet, look at them deeply and say, is this the person that will make, you know, the best parent possible? And what work do they need to be doing as well? Yeah. Oh, I love that you say trauma because 
I think that is so true. I mean, as you know, I purposefully, purposefully, not speak, Mm -hmm. purposefully um, wanted to try and do as much of my own healing after my dad died before I tried to date again, because I knew it would be a bandage over a wound and a bit of a disaster of me just trying to fill that like space of grief with something from the outside and probably wouldn't have attracted a very, you know, good partnership either and it was very painful to have to do it on my own but I'm honestly it's the greatest gift I've ever given myself I'm so grateful um because I was single when my dad died not because I was in a relationship and thought I had to get rid of them but (laughs) 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 because I was single when he died and I've seen you know with um with other people going straight into a relationship like two months later and it not being not being the right thing and for me that's the reason why like you say it's like a sort of you know it's almost a reaction to trauma as opposed to an aligned conscious like choice of who you want to be with and the kind of person you want to be with it's just a a way to fill that space temporarily anyway it is and we don't often see our own trauma many people I work with they will tell me they've not got any trauma (laughs) and they often have a lot Um, and it's, again, it's not bad. It's just, it's trauma. I want to redefine for people. It's the experiences you have and the meaning that they make for you. So I actually have a classical trauma history, meaning like my mother was an addict and my father was absent and lots of neglect and abuse and, you know, things that are unthinkable. And I had to heal all that in order to be in relationship because what my patterns were, was running away like I was what they call avoidant, meaning that I wouldn't let anyone get close out of fear. And that was my trauma response in a relationship, even in my marriage. You know, luckily I had, I have what they call secure attacher. My husband and his parents were married for like 30 years and like, you know, all that stuff. So he had this whole other opposite energy that he brought. And luckily I attracted him, but you know, we can definitely heal within those relationships. And we know from trauma research that you can heal within a relationship. So I don't what, sometimes people in the, the relationship space want to perpetuate this idea that you must do all of your healing before you find love. And I don't totally believe that, but I do believe that wherever you are, you can definitely do more. And if you have that opportunity, take it. Because otherwise, what most people will complain of is they keep attracting the same type of situations or partners, and they think it's them, but it like the outside world, but it's not, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> you are you are pulling these people into you and you have to look at yourself and why does that person feel comfortable and like we were talking about earlier like just Alice and I were a lot of times the the very things that are red flags people think are the sign that this is a great amazing relationship and I can give people the example of the one that you feel super fiery for and so excited and they just give you butterflies and you get crazy and you guys have, you know, volatile fights and makeup sex, they are often not your, they, like, they're not a positive soulmate. They're karmic soulmate. <laughs> they are helping you work out all your problems. You're attracting them from your wounding. The person that you feel most comfortable with, you can be yourself with, who challenges you to be a better person that is someone you're attracting from a higher space, from actually your soul's growth. People get soulmates wrong. They think soulmate is like my ideal aligned partner. No, your soulmate is like an old contract from a past life that you or past energies that you're trying to work some stuff out with. And it doesn't usually end pretty, but we get this super like excited feeling about it because it's it's energetic, but it often is negative. And I can think of the, I can think of my guy who I could have told you in my twenties was my soulmate, right? Like he, everything was exciting and intense. And, you know, it's like, when you see him, you almost want to throw up (laughs) 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 and you're just like, you know, your mind is spinning about them. And I'm telling you people that is your red flag. Like when I met my husband, everything was calm and chill. And I remember initially I actually thought like, gosh, do I even like this guy? Like we have to think like, we're not even attracted to them, but it's not. It's that from our conditioning, we feel like that intensity is love and it's not, it's wounding. 
Mm, so fascinating, isn't it? I mean, let's talk about that, the Hollywood then soulmate, because it's Hollywood who has made people um, confused about what an actual spiritual soulmate is, because Hollywood paints the soulmate as, well, we all know, a soulmate to be in inverted commas of this one true love that you'll find and it's fireworks and everything you just said <laughs> and you live happily ever after and that's your soulmate. And that is Hollywood's amazing, um, amazing setting of movies and this idea but obviously, like you talked about, a soulmate spiritually, a soulmate is something totally different. It's someone who might not be for life, who's meant to sort of allow you to grow and show you some wounds. And it could be a very uncomfortable experience, essentially, as opposed to a very easy, happy, long-term one. So yes. do you think is the, the um, what's the spiritual concept for that person? You know, we talked about twin flames before. How do you define actually yeah, a twin flame and how do you define the person who, say like you and your husband, who are this great partnership, but you weren't even experiencing, say, fireworks or anything in the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> that is, yes, that is such a good way to put it. So I see a soulmate as a contract and it can be negatively or positively, but it's often this intense experience of working out a karmic issue. And so a karmic issue could be as simple as like having been cheated on in the past and now you keep attracting that partner. The reason is, is because you haven't healed the karma. You haven't healed the wound. You haven't healed all the stuff that that brought for you. So, so even though you keep thinking like, oh, I keep attra- I'm, I'm not attracting my soulmate. You actually are. You're attracting from the wounds of your soul. And there's a word in Sanskrit called samskara and it's like a scar on the soul. And, and it's like, think of it as like a groove in a record. So it's like, you will keep playing the same stuff over and over. You can also have those of you, now I I'm completely believe in past life, I always have. But in past lives, we could have had a very traumatic experience with, with a soul, a specific soul. And we can also create a soul contract with them that comes and we find them again, but we're just trying to work out those problems again. And so it doesn't actually give you free will to be in that place, right? It's not like a soulmate is working out old karma or wounds. Finding someone who's more like a twin flame is working out your soul's evolution. And that can be uncomfortable too, right? Because they're going to they're gonna also push your buttons and help you grow. But it is going to be a much more calm experience because it's not coming from this intensity, this wounding, this like, it's almost like you get drawn in through your ego and your senses. Like you just find them so hot and things are so hot and it's fireworks always, you know what I mean? And it's like, I used to think that that's what I was looking for. And then it's like, when I met somebody who was the opposite, it was, and I hear this from women all the time that I work with, cause I do work more with women. I hear it from guys too. I've even taken it off the table with some guys who like, or with someone. I, I remember asking a client once, um, he was really into this woman. And I said, okay, so if you could never, ever sleep with her again, would you be with her? And he was like, no. I was like, then she's not it. So I, w- I want you, whoever's listening to this, take that, take that off the table. Take all the fireworks out and, and look at what else do I have and how do I feel when I'm with them? And do they support me? Or am I always in a state of spinning? Like, am I wanting to check their phone? Am, you know, and it doesn't mean that that might be something wrong with them. It could also be with you, of course. It's usually, we always need to start with ourselves. But that's the biggest difference. Hollywood paints it. And, you know, spirituality, a lot of people on Instagram even, you know, I don't know where they get their information, but that is touted a lot. Of like, you know, how to, how to find your soulmate. And I think even some of Western psychology has kind of gotten taken over by that idea, like looking, looking for that, that right person, that one. It's like, it may be one, it may be a few. Don't judge it for yourself. Mm, I love that. So how do you define a twin flame for those listening? I think a twin flame is someone who complements you and your soul's growth and has sometimes even the opposite energy. And I know there's a million different definitions and I invite anyone to come up with their own, but I just see it as someone who truly complements, who's like, you know, we have this idea of like becoming one. And I think it's two flames burning side by side. And if one loses its light, the other will reignite it. And I think that's really what partnership is about. Like my husband and I have been together in May, 2022, it will be 20 years since the, since we started dating. And so we've been through, you know, his father died, my mother and father died, my sister died. 
um, we've been through so much. And those times when I'm down, he's there to pick me up. And those times when he's struggling at work or, you know, like, I think we've really helped each other become the best possibly possible people we can. I can give you an example of like, even just this, you know, we're in Maui right now. We got married here. Um, and we were walking the beach and I was talking about, there's this amazing program that you can go to India and like, Oh, I don't know if I should do it. And my husband just looked at me and he goes, you know, you always really want to do these cool things. And he's like, and you should like, you need to sign up for that. Yeah. That's so nice. That's what a partnership yeah. would be like. Right. But like in our marriage, we've gotten three master's degrees, multiple certificate. You know what I mean? It's like, we really hold each other when we need to. And yes, we still have to work on everything else. Cause you know, long-term relationships, they do take falling in love with someone over and over. You know, you've got to work on the intimacy. Cause that just, you know, you kind of, you have to keep dating each other, but if you are someone who sees yourself as someone who's growth oriented, you will change many times. But like I said, your twin flame will always be there to reignite you, to hold you up, to get you through those times, but not in a, in a like codependency way, but in a way of like, I want you to burn brightly on your own as well. And I'm here to make sure that that keeps happening. Mm, yeah, I love that. I think that's like the ideal to me, like image of what true love is, because if the other person doesn't want you to burn brightly and vice versa, then that's not real love to me because we shouldn't have to dim ourselves to, you know, make someone else feel bigger and vice versa. It's kind of, you know, allowing that to be your most shiniest, brightest, authentic self and hoping that that person wants you to be even brighter and they're not feeling, you know, diminished by your brightness, so to speak, and vice versa. Yes, well, that's such a beautiful and succinct way to put it. It really, you know, so many people in relationships can feel smothered or like they can't be as successful as they want to, or they can't do certain things. You know, we can feel very held back. And of course there's the reality of life and, you know, money and that might hold you back, but your partner should never be one of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> your partner should want for you what you want for yourself and, and even more and be one of your biggest cheerleaders and supporters and that's, that's how you get through the tough times because marriage is no cakewalk. I'm, I'm talking from experience, <laughs> like, <laughs> even though I have a wonderful husband who's very supportive, you know, it, that the whole like sickness and health and loss and like those things really come up mm. and you really, and you do work through them. But when you have that person who wants you to shine brightly and wants you to be your best self, that's when you know you've got something special. Yeah, I totally agree with that such a nice such a nice thought so okay let's talk about um manifesting relationships because I'm sure a lot of people listening that's something everyone's interested in you know you are someone that works very much with you know the subconscious the energy the mind body soul manifesting what are people doing wrong when they're manifesting relationships to start with okay yes so the first thing is getting really clear on what it is you want so that is not just kind of dating and see who attracts you. I actually invite most people who are dating actively to write out what are those like non-negotiable things. And I don't mean like, you know, must be certain height and have six pack abs. <laughs> those are, of course, you want to be attracted to your partner, but they may not come the exact package that you have. So really thinking about that clarity of, you know, like they, for me, like, I'll just give examples. Like I actually did this before I met my current husband. Um, like I said, like they must be kind and caring and they must love animals. And, you know, just these things that are like so important to me, just think about like, what are those non-negotiables? Like another thing for me, because I grew up with my parents being an addict and my sister had addiction issues. Like for me, someone had to be completely free of addiction. Like that just was not something I could go, my, my heart couldn't handle that again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all have different paths, but I don't believe that people who are in active addiction are usually uh, ready to be in partnership. Not, I'm not saying for all, because sometimes relationships can help them heal. But just for me, that was something that I had to, I was very clear on. So making sure you write down your non-negotiables. If you want to manifest, you have to tell the universe what you're trying to manifest. Because, you know, you can meet a lot of great people, but it doesn't mean they're what you're looking for. And then you feel like you're wasting time and I can't seem to find the right person. Well, you have to remember that you are 
a powerful creator and you have to give the universe direction. So be clear about who it is you're looking for. That's the first step. Second, now that you're clear and you have this intention, now you've got to heal all the shit that gets in the way of you manifesting that. So a lot of things that women get stuck in is, you know, they think like, am I attractive enough? Am I good enough? Am I any X enough? You know, we all have our own stuff. Like we're women, we're prone to like wanting to, to be everything, you know, attractive, smart, educated, successful, <laughs> you know, so we've got to, got to know that we are enough as we are to attract that partner and then doing our inner, our, our trauma work, you know, wh- whoever that is with and however, uh, there's a lot of good books out there that can help you start like looking at those old relationship patterns from your childhood, even from your past. Like a lot of times I've seen blocks that actually were initiated in high school, which can sound a lot of surprising to people, but I've had clients who like their first boyfriend, you know, cheated on them or was doing X or Y or created all this doubt about their body. And so it's not just our child. Like a lot of people think of childhood as like this little kid. I want to invite people to think of childhood as 19 and under. So look at that, like, like what patterns do I have? What patterns, like from my childhood, what was the messages about love? What keeps showing up in my relationships? That's something I want you to journal on. Like whoever's listening, if you're feeling stuck in love, what keeps showing up in my relationships? Like what are the patterns? What are the feelings I have? What are the reactions I have? How, do, how does that keep coming up for me? Those are the things you've got to work on healing. Then, and that's like, the biggest thing that I see missing in all manifestation teaching is no one talks about healing. We've got to heal the subconscious mind. We've got to heal our old patterns. We've got to heal subconsciously because you cannot affirm your way out of trauma. Mm. Like you can't really believe in love if you have a hundred different ways that the mind believes it's not safe or it might result in something bad, right? If I, if I have experiences from childhood or from my teen years that make me feel that love isn't safe or something bad might happen to me. I'm either going to manifest the same experience. I'm going to recreate them, or I'm actually going to manifest not dating anyone at all. Cause that's another way to protect ourselves. And we can do that energetically as well. Like all the pain and stuff we can actually store in our physical body and, and create energetic walls up like there can, there's, um, in the energy code book, there's something called a heart wall. And I like that concept. I've worked a lot with that too, where we actually use like, let's say past pain to protect ourselves from allowing love in. And it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing bad. Think about it. You're a very good student of life. You know, I had been hurt a lot in my formative years and, and trusting other people was really hard for me. It was, like I said, I was very avoidant. I just wanted to like, oh, like guys were kind of, to me, a dime a dozen. I dated a lot of them, but I'd never, like before my husband now, I didn't want to be with anyone for more than like a year. I'd be like, yep. Oh, six months are up. I got to get rid of this dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, even, you know, a lot of people don't like, I didn't share, but I was actually married really young when I was 19. Cause I left home when I was 17. And yeah, all those patterns came up because I hadn't, healed all that stuff and that marriage lasted like a a whole of 18 months so I invite you to do your healing work then you've got to take action so that means you've got to get out there and it doesn't mean you have to be on every dating app I want you to find what feels aligned to you because it may not be right for you like I'm someone who needs to read energy um in person to date someone so (laughs) Oh <laughs> yeah. And, and also don't have judgment on where you're going to meet this person because I met my husband in a club, literally like, and we've been together ever since. So you have no clue where the universe will put you together. Yeah. I love that. And it's so true. I'm two of my best friends met in a club. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel like when, when the universe wants you to find a soul, it will help you. And it can do that through technology. It can do that through a dinner at a friend's house. And it can do that through putting you both in the same pub. <laughs> you know, yeah. There are infinite ways for the universe to create. And so getting out there and taking action, believing that it's possible for you to have that love. And then the hardest part is surrendering to the process. And that's another part that most people miss in manifesting. I have like this little seven steps to manifesting and I include all that in there, but that is like another big thing is that the end result is to surrender is to say, I will keep doing my inner work. I will keep going out. I will 
keep, you know, talking to people or going on dates until I find that aligned person that meets and helps my, manifest my intention. Because what we want in the mind comes to us quickly. When creating it in the physical world, the physical world is very dense and it's slow. And so though, though we know what we want, it can take time to create that energetic connection because when we're manifesting relationships, it's not just one person. Like if I want to manifest money, all I've got to do is work on some stuff for myself, right? I'm just trying to draw money to me. But when you're trying to manifest a relationship, you're, you're in co-creation. So, you, you know, you're not like, God's not going to deliver them to your front door via UPS. <laughs> like <laughs> you're, you're working with another human's divine free will. So your partner, you know, that aligned partner also needs to be ready for you too. And I think we forget about that when we're, again, going back to like, we're on our own timelines. We forget that our ideal partner may just be coming, becoming ready, or they may be getting out of a relationship or they may be healing something too. And so my, my version of surrender is always having hope and saying this or something better, like going on that date and saying, you know, allow me to see if this is the right thing for me. And if it's not, that's okay. Thank you for the opportunity to meet someone. I look for the next thing that, that can be more aligned. Mm. I love that. And you mentioned there as well, um, you know, when the universe wants you to meet a soul, it will find a way to do it. It doesn't matter the sort of medium. So what's your take on destined relationships because obviously there's this whole again <laughs> western philosophy or romantic philosophy of like a destined partner you know it was destiny that we met and all those different things so what's your take on that being truthful or untruthful yes there is so obviously things are written in the stars but we have a lot more control over it than we think and that's where we we mess destiny up a little bit <laughs> because we have these things can be destined, but through our choice and our action, we can shift it. So we may have a certain karma that we need to live out and we can heal that karma by taking new action. So the easiest example to give you would be like a lot of people like keep getting into a relationship with someone maybe they don't trust, right? They always feel compelled to like check their phone and then they start to think like, oh, I'm just destined to be in this kind of relationship, but this is how all guys are, blah, blah, blah. But if I healed that and started doing my inner work around it and then started looking for partners in a new way, I could actually shift that. So yes, there are certain energies that come online in your life and certain things, like I said, we've got to heal and learn. But karma is often what people think destiny is. They get the two mixed up. Mm. Your destiny is to be happy, healthy, wealthy, and, and go to the other side. <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, your karma is working out those things that are holding your soul back from doing it. And we do it the greatest in love. What do you mean by that, though? So we do it the greatest in love. I think with relationships, it's our biggest opportunity for spiritual growth and so we experience a lot more karma in the place of, of love. Mm -hmm. And I feel like everybody on the planet has a struggle in, in one of three areas. And it's why they're all multi-billion dollar industries. We either struggle in love, in health, or in money. And some of us struggle in all three. I mean, <laughs> it's life. But love is the one thing where you're actually with another person. And so all of that stuff gets reflected back to you. And again, we're subject to their free will. So it's a little bit more scary because money is, though we also have a relationship with money or health, it's really about myself and doing that inner work to call it to me. It's just an energy, right? Money is an energy. Clearing and healing my body is, certain, is about certain energies, but calling in another human who may or may not like me, who may choose to leave me, who, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a lot more fear around that, which creates a lot more energetic blocks and what can feel like negative karma. Like I, I just keep manifesting this. I'm not meant for love. It's never going to happen. These are all things we say over and over and over again. And it's, it's because part of us doesn't like the uncertainty and the unknown. I think that's really such an interesting point for people to um, think about and listen to because how, you know, I think everyone who's listening now can relate in some way when they've had a moment where, they have felt like 
not on edge about something, but on almost like that in that position where that person might leave, even if it's actually not even about to happen, but that temporary fear or the actual reality of it. And no human wants to be rejected or, or left. You know, it's like against our sort of innate nature, really, of what we want for our survival, isn't it? So how can we practice non-attachment in relationships? <laughs> Yes, that's a good question. Because we do, you know, it's normal to have those things. First of all, that's the human mind. (laughs) It's and again, it's scary to allow, you know, to surrender our heart to someone. That's that's a terrifying thing. And I think you have to do that slowly and through trust. So one thing is to always. I like to think of it as someone gets to earn the right to receive your love from you. Meaning Mm -hmm. they they need to keep putting deposits into the trust bank and growing how much of yourself you surrender to them. So a lot of people want to jump into love so quickly and they haven't actually built a foundation to rest it on. So, you know, we can get left quickly (laughs) and feel shocked or blindsided by what occurs. And then that feels like destiny, but it's not, it's taking things slowly and recognizing that as long as you're doing your work on yourself, you can only clean up your side of the street. And so even in my relationship now, I'm in it as long as it's good. And what's funny is I've always had that perception that I'm making the choice to be in this relationship day by day. And as long as it's, it's growing and, and it doesn't mean I run away quickly, but I feel like if, if you give it all you can in good conscience, sometimes you need to walk away and that's okay. But it's knowing that at the beginning that any relationship you get in may not be forever and not to even have the expectation because I think that creates more problems. Like we feel like it has to be forever, like we're stuck. And sometimes the very energy of being willing to walk away is the thing that saves it, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's willing to say like I've, you know, when, when we went through our difficult period in our marriage, you know, I, I slept in another room. I said like, we're either going to rebuild this or not. And I'm okay with either way. Like I want you to think about if we're still right for each other. And everyone thought I was crazy. And I was like, no, like I... I'm not, I've seen more people in my practice rush off on holiday or vacation together to try to force it back together and come back and announce their separation than I've seen that work. Mm. It's kind of like that old adage of like, if you love something, set it free. So it's like saying like, I love you and I want to be with you, but I also want you to be with me. Like, I don't know anyone listening. I would never want anyone to be with me who wasn't a hundred percent in. Yeah. And a lot of people want to force it because they're afraid to be alone. We make up all these stories. I mean, I'm 43 years old, so I get it. My husband left tomorrow. Sure. I'm be dating in my 40s. (laughs) And that's not something I've experienced before. So that could be scary. But if that's what is meant to be, then hopefully if that were to happen, I am meant to find another partner that is even more aligned at this point in my life. Mm, I think that's such a nice way of looking at it and obviously it's a a tough way for people to look at it but it's about just having a slightly higher perspective on the whole you know ethos of love essentially like (laughs) romantic exactly and having it's also cultivating that resilience in yourself to know that you'll get through it because that's what I hear from a lot of people is you know I couldn't hand I often hear things like I couldn't handle another breakup I couldn't handle another heartbreak and and they always can <laughs> you know we're we're all a lot stronger than we think we are and yes any breakup is awful and if i were to go through a breakup it would be horrible as well and there would be a long grief period and there should be so it is not saying that it's non-attachment is a really hard thing to explain to a western mind and an eastern mind it's kind of like i hold something in my hand with an open hand mm-hmm. in the so like if you're holding a butterfly, which, you know, we'll, we'll say symbolically the butterfly is love. I'm going to hold it with my hands open with so much love and care that it could fly away anytime it needs to. In the West, we want to like cup it with both our hands or crush it. <laughs> we we want to make sure it can never leave us. Yeah, so so, yeah we, we want that certainty that this thing that I have, this love is going to stay and it's always going to support me. And that, that can never be true for anything. Our, our looks are going to fade. Our, we are going to change. Our children are going to grow up and move away. <laughs> We've got to be ready for lots of things to shift, change, and grow. And also when you look at it, um, you know, I see my wonderful mom now, for example, that she's 
um, a widow from losing my dad, you know, you have a relationship and a marriage with someone, the likelihood of you dying on the same day is very, very, very slim. Very slim. And and most women, and on average, the statistic for that is women outlive men by seven years. And that's, that's like the, that means average. So I'm going to say the span is probably going to be, you know, six to 15 years, if that's the average. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is a, and that's a devastating thing to lose your long-term partner. Even just being with a man now for 20 years, you know, I can't imagine if you were to pass and, and pass in 40 years. Like that is, you know, that's to me where spirituality comes in and knowing that he's decided, you know, he's gone on to another realm and that I can still have a, a relationship with him, but he's not here anymore is for me, you know, and I'm an ex-atheist with that, which Alice knows. <laughs> so I've Are developed my... so funny now. Because yes, I definitely... They say that we resist our greatest gifts and that's definitely true. But I think we we resist a lot of things that are good for us and resisting love and and letting, and letting it be and letting it grow. Like, you know, we want to control it. We want to know what's going to be here and that can actually smother it. I see more women do that, like trying to get a guy on a specific path or we got to get married we gotta get a house you know they have this very this very path and a lot of times it will run a guy run a guy away and the funny thing is I never cared about getting married I always knew I would I just didn't I wasn't worried about my mom had been married four times so I didn't really have this like this fantasy around marriage um and I've been proposed to three times like I could have cared less and it was funny how they just couldn't stop asking Mm, it's It's so funny right and there's women who are like I can't believe you know like you were able to say no. I was like, yeah, he's not right. He's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So to finish, I have a few questions. How do you define love personally? Oh, that's such a good question. I define love as a soul connection that is deep and true. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you really like in the West, love is very conditional. And I understand that. But I think if you ever have a child or a family member, that's that's real love because it would never end. Like, no matter what, you would always have love for that person. Like you and I both have parents on the other side. Like, you know, even though my mom and I had a very difficult relationship, you know, I know now she was my greatest teacher, but it's like that love is eternal. Like she'll always be my mother. It came through her. And I feel like if we can get to that place in all of our love relationships, where even if we're not with them, we still have love for them. That is the ultimate ideal of spiritual love. And, you know, something I think I'm only ready to even work on myself now. Like I know if my husband and I were to no longer be together, I would always have love for him because he's such a good man. And it's like, so finding that person that you would always have that for. Yeah, that's a nice definition. And so obviously the the podcast rename is unstressable. What do you believe helps make us be unstressable in love in love definitely knowing thyself so I think meditation and breath work are the foundations of grounding yourself so that you can handle your triggers (laughs) (laughs) what, what creates a lot of stress in relationships and what I work with people work on with people most is they get you know we all get activated and triggered in our love relationships and that creates a lot of stress and we don't know how to fix it. But what happens is when we get triggered in our relationship, we get into fight or flight, like physically. And then our, our higher self, our conscious mind, actually, you know, your frontal lobes get turned off. And then that's when we turn into a crazy person and we say things we don't mean. <laughs> so, so having some practices within yourself, which I think meditation and breath work are the two easiest to do. Even journaling is great to have that self-awareness. If in your relationship, you can pause before you react I promise you it will shift everything. Mm. You will be able to see clearly from that space. Now that took me years to get to that. But at this point in my relationship, I will think about something for, and re- re- like reflect on it for up to three days before I bring anything up. So my husband could say something in the moment and I just go, oh, that got me. That was interesting. You know, and like my inner child wants to scream at him and tell him all kinds of things right (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but I sit with that for days and I, and I ask myself, like, what did that bring up for me? How did that make me feel? Did he, was that really his intention? And then when I do go speak with him about it, I will, pr- I will present it like, Hey, when this was said, this is how I felt. I know you may not have meant it that way, but this is what it brought up for me. And then I allow, like, I, I allow him through my curiosity and openness to a calm myself down. So I'm not in a triggered state and b like, allow him to explain what he meant. And it's often not like I was through my own wounding thinking he meant something else. It's like, you know, the old joke of like, I like to say, like, I could be like, oh, Alice, you look so beautiful today. And you could be like, I don't look beautiful every day. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And that really happens in relationships. So creating that ability in yourself to manage your own emotions is the highest form of love. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, your husband's a very lucky man, if that's the kind of oh, well, <laughs> hey, he gets. He may not agree with you. I'm also stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a stubborn, I can be a stubborn know-it-all too. There's a, there's a dark and a light side to all things, right? Lots of wisdom comes like, lots of wisdom comes with a lot of knowledge, which could also be annoying. <laughs> wow, your wisdom today has been as always, amazing and Oracle Tory has been <laughs> such a such a joy to have you back on on the podcast and sharing all your amazing wisdom with all of us. So thank you so much for taking the time. And I'll put in the show notes where everyone can find you. If you've been listening to Tory and think maybe I need to do some inner work on getting rid of these kind of layers of <laughs> layers of our own making and not of our own making and all sorts we have that are holding us back, then you'll know where to find her. So Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. I love these talks. You always get the best out of me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed today's episode with the wonderful Tori. If you did enjoy the episode, then please find us on social media, share it in your stories and tag us. We would love to hear from you. If you're interested in doing some work with Tori, all the information you need to find her is in the show notes as always. And I cannot recommend her highly enough, having done a lot myself. I will see you next time with another incredible guest and hope to help you become unstressable. Um,